Welcome to Where I'm From, the podcast that proves no matter how far you go, you'll always keep a little piece of home with you. I'm Bill Meeks. This week, bizarre magician and YouTube host Brian Brushwood joins me to talk about where he's from, Katy, Texas. Flip on your Friday night lights, folks. Yeehaw! You might know Brian Brushwood from his Revision 3 Discovery web series, Scam School, or the follow-up Scam Nation. Welcome to the show that keeps your wallet full and your liver begging for mercy. Scam School, the only show dedicated to social engineering at the bar and on the street. I'm your host, Brian Brushwood, and this- He also co-hosts The Modern Rogue with his pal, Jason Murphy, and the comedy podcast, Great Night, with his other buddy, Justin Robert Young. But before Brian became a titan of YouTube, he got his start in a little town south of Houston called Katy. Now, this should be pretty interesting. You see, I was born and raised in Katy for most of the first decade of my life. While I have plenty of stories from that time, and I'm sure a couple of them will come out here, I don't really remember that much about Katy. Now, Brian, he lived there until he was a teenager in the 80s, so I'm excited to get a more mature perspective on the town I grew up in. Let's talk to Brian. And welcome to where I'm from, Mr. Brian Brushwood. How you doing today, sir? Bill Meeks, am I confused or is it almost 10 years to the month that you and I were on the other half of the planet while an international fraud was perpetrated <laughs> upon the literary community and I spent most of the night after appearing in front of more people live than watch the Super Bowl and you and I sat in a hotel in Indonesia and I gave you like a full-on TED Talk uh, pump you up success seminar. Did am I am I imagining this or is this our real life? That that couldn't have been ten years ago, man. Because I had a four year old then, and I have a fourteen year old. Oh shit! <laughs> it's been a decade. It's been a decade. This week we travel halfway around the world to begin our Indonesian magic adventure. We're we're not actually in Indonesia. We're this is the airport. We're in Taipei. Uh, what a trip that was, man. And I'm so thankful mm -hmm. because that was at a time when we were just taking over some of the production production aspects of Scam School. And mm -hmm. I, I just needed somebody who could run a camera. And, and just out of nowhere, I'm like, Bill Meeks, you want to go to Indonesia? <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Which, by the way, speaks to your spirit of uh, adventure and your ability to say, why not? Let's give it a try. I am very much infused with that sort of like Mickey Rooney, let's put on a show thing. Like if someone's like, hey, uh, show up and do something for me, I'm there pretty much 100% of the time unless I have other commitments. And I could tell that that's stuck with you because I've seen so many different projects that you've been putting out and it's so mm -hmm. fun. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very, very pleased that it sounds like like that moment was a precious moment for both of us. Oh, absolutely. That, that moment definitely set me on a path because before that I had I hadn't really done podcasting consistently before. I had never written much of anything that I tried to put out in the world besides like little essays about how I was a little emo kid. And uh, since then, you know, I've written books. I've uh, done several successful podcasts. Uh, hopefully this one will be one soon. Good to know that I'm part <laughs> of the cream of the crop. <laughs> Well, it was it was really just like who do I, whose number do I have in my phone? Really, I'm excited to have you on to talk about Katie because Katie, um, I think I talked a lot, little bit about this in the intro. I grew up there until I was 
seven and then from like eight to 11. And I have fond memories of it, but I'm not completely sure if they're completely accurate based on things I've seen from Katie. I was growing up in Texas and then uh, my grandma got sick and we had to move to Wheeling, West Virginia uh, to be with the family. And uh, I, I hated Wheeling, West Virginia. It was a really small town, not a lot going on. And I felt like Texas is like the big modern city. And, you know, I lived in Wheeling for several years. I ended up going to college up in West Liberty, West Virginia. And one day I turned on a news report. Uh, it was a story out of Katy, Texas. And I was like, oh, yeah, Katy, that really hip, cool place. And it was all this like racist people screaming at each other, like throwing kegs at each other thing. I was it, did I grow up in the town <laughs> I thought I grew up in? You were a bit older when you lived there than me. So maybe you might have a little more insight. Yeah, I, I would love to synchronize our timelines because you and I mm -hmm. both had the curious experience of living in Katy, moving away, and then moving back to Katy. Mm -hmm. um, in my case, I, I lived in the same subdivision, just on a different street. And of course, when you're a kid, a year, mm -hmm. 18 months feels like an, an eternity, but but then, you know, you're an adult and you're like, what if uh, you blink and that goes by? Um, yeah. So so how old were you when you uh, lived there, moved away and moved back? I was there from birth until eight. Then we moved away for two or for a year, year and a half. Yeah. And then I came back from like 10 to 12 and then we okay. moved away again. So, yeah, uh, I, I think we left there for good in 92. Uh, for, oh, that was right around the time I started dating. Boy, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> to know that a young Bill Meeks was was moving away just as I was about to touch a booby. <laughs> yeah, that that little fat kid you were picking on back then—that was me, Brian. <laughs> in in my case, I was born in California, and you want to talk about like just as you were thinking that moving to Texas was like moving to the big city. I was only five and a half when I found out that we were moving to Houston the first time. This is mm -hmm. North Houston. And yeah. uh, and I knew enough at five and a half to know that, oh, that's where uh, hillbillies live. <laughs> 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 and and then, uh, uh, then we moved away to Colorado and then we moved back uh, for the first time to Katy. And then mm -hmm. I moved overseas to Norway for a year and a half and then mm -hmm. came back. So my primary time in Katy was, I think, from roughly... Uh, third grade through the beginning of seventh. And then we moved away. And then I was there for the tail end of eighth grade and through high school. But during that time, it, it was really wild uh, on, on, on a Brian story timeline. What I remember is that break in the middle of puberty was like a sorting hat and I didn't <laughs> have to be there for it. So I, I was off in yeah. Norway and then I came back and all of a sudden, some people were a foot taller than me <laughs> and had deep voices and beards. Other people were smoking. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, I loved how many of the landmarks were familiar. And I'm so glad that we moved back to the same neighborhood. Even at the age of 14, we, we, we couldn't live in the school dis district that I wanted to live in or wanted to go to school in. So mm -hmm. what mom did uh, while we were in temporary housing was she bought us bikes for Christmas and we <laughs> biked three and a half miles. Like, oh, wow. I mean, at, at the time I was stoked because, oh my God, we get to bike like all, all the way from Fry <laughs> Road down to Mason Road to go to West Memorial Junior High and all that stuff. Uh -huh. And yeah. now I'm stoked because, oh my God, I get to be one of those old fogies who talks about how they used to bike three and a half, <laughs> four miles to school every day. It, it, it was epic. I would say that living in Katy was probably my 
biggest length of time, like I was like really into biking too. We were only allowed because I was so young. We were only really allowed to go around the block, but I would circle that block like all afternoon. Actually, uh, come to think of it one time, me and my sister were doing that. And I, I never got confirmation if this actually happened or not. But my sister wanted to go like two blocks. And this van pulled up and she was like, Billy, Billy, uh, you know, that guy's trying to grab us. You know, he's a stranger danger, run. And then we biked like two blocks and we came back and my parents were upset because we'd been gone. They ended up calling the cops because my sister kept going with the story and I was supporting her. And then I think like three or four years later, she was like, that didn't actually happen. <laughs> I just wanted to go like two blocks. What was your read on like the culture of Katie and like in terms of racial conflicts and, and that sort of thing growing up there? Because when I look back, it seemed very modern when I lived there. Looking back on it, it seemed backward to where I was even in West Virginia at the time. At the time I grew up in Katie, it was, oh, what's the word? White. It was very <laughs> white. Yeah. In fact, in all of elementary school, and uh, even through high school, uh, mm -hmm. I, 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 I can think of maybe three fellow students that were black. And mm -hmm. um, it, it would not surprise me if the demographics have changed. But yeah. uh, in a strange way, race was not the concern. It was mainly status or, or what you were into, uh, yeah. whether, whether it was types of music or the way you dressed or that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because, you know, it, there's a pretty big uh, Mexican population for proximity reasons there. We had uh, a lot of Mexican friends growing up and it didn't, to me as a, as a, you know, a three, four five, six year old, it didn't really seem like there was a lot of pushback from the environment or, you know, from people from church for us hanging out with people like that. But then, you know, you look back or you hear someone talk about it later on and apparently like there were a lot of racist assholes like all around me. And I just, I, I guess it's just our position. We, we never saw, see that well, side and, of it. And, and exactly. It's very, I mean, how, how could a child know what's going on around them? If I had a beef with another kid, it was almost certainly over what transformers they had and very little else. <laughs> yeah. Which is to be expected. And, you know, to be fair, like any kid that I didn't go to school with, or, or not go to school with, but go to church with, or do like the homeschooling activities with, which was predominantly, you know, white Christians and everything. I, I just never really saw it, but uh, I guess it was probably there. And I just, I, I was too innocent <laughs> to realize. Teachers have a really profound effect on us and kind of sometimes set us off in a direction. Did you have any teachers that had a profound effect on you and Katie? A number of them. When, when I took calculus, you would expect that you would have things like books and calculators. Uh, mm -hmm. We had nothing. We had, <laughs> uh, we were told day one, yeah, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take you through each lesson on the board. You're going to write notes. You only have your notes to work from and no calculators. Your mm -hmm. answers can all be expressed in radians and <laughs> there's no need for decimal points. And uh, uh, it, it, it was a trip, man. And what happened was that that AP calculus class not only got me through calculus one, I tested out of calculus one. And then when I went to calculus two at university of Texas, I was confused. Mm. I was like, what is this? What is this forever ago <laughs> stuff? Okay. And so uh, we practically had uh, almost a full year of calculus that we tested out of. So kind of with calculus, you were 
uh, you were running with ankle weights on and then uh, eventually you lost the weights and you were like, oh, this is easy. This yeah, is easy. Or, or, I can or as I think about it, uh, because this actually happened, I was on the swim team at Williamsburg Settlement neighborhood and uh, we did drills where we would swim in blue jeans and then mm -hmm. you got to take the blue jeans off. You could swim much faster. <laughs> you said Williamsburg se Settlement. That sounds vaguely familiar. So was it like a public pool that was there? Yeah, it, well, it was the local neighborhood pool. There was yeah. the Williamsburg Settlement. There was Williamsburg Colony. There was Williamsburg, I want to say Hamlet. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, but but they had a number of different uh, uh, divisions. This all sounds very familiar. That might have been the pool I almost drowned in when I was three. Come to think I of it. it. <laughs> yeah, my, my stepbrother uh, didn't realize I couldn't swim. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go to the deep end. And and I was down there for probably about 20, 30 seconds before someone found me. The, but, there was kind of an epic scene of sharks and minnows in that deep end. Uh, they, they, <laughs> like we, we had the rule where you were allowed to not get caught for shark, sharks and minnows as long as you were running your hands across the bottom of the deep end. So if, uh, if your breath was good enough, you were mm -hmm. able to just 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 crab walk <laughs> your way across the deep end back and forth <laughs> the entire time. And eventually everybody was sharks except for you. <laughs> uh, you were a nice. crab. That seems like it would be difficult, though, because I mean, I don't know about you, but my technique to like kind of go down in the water is to let breath out. And I don't know like how long I could you know, stay under there for well, and for and of course, when you're a kid uh, nowadays, uh, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I'll speak for myself. Uh, mm -hmm. I have a little fat is lighter than water, uh, <laughs> and when you're a kid, yeah. you're, you're built like a brick, and you just sink right down. <laughs> See, I was I was actually I was a bit heavier when I was a kid. I was I think my heaviest was three fifty. Um, so what? yeah, I had, I had to, when I went swimming, I always wore the shirt. I was the kid in the, the fat kid in the shirt that would like stick to me when I got out of the water and show my moves off and everything. But, uh, that, that's so, that's so, I never would have guessed that. That's incredible. Oh yeah, man. Like, and this kind of ties back to Katie too. I was homeschooled, which means I didn't get out very much. I also, my mom didn't really care that much about the schooling aspect. She cared more about the control. So she would like leave for the day. And we'd be there with all the groceries. So I'd have microwave burritos, Doritos, oh, yeah. all this stuff. And, you know, uh, don't want to say anything too offensive about her because uh, I don't really talk to her anymore. But uh, she wasn't exactly fit either. So I think I probably picked up a lot of those habits from her, too. It's 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 a remarkable transposition or, or transformation. <laughs> I, I never would have suspected. Thank you. Th yeah, I, it was like it was I was like 350 until I went to high school. Then I dropped a hundred pounds in a year because I was up, I was walking, I was socializing. And then I think I dropped the rest down to where I am now, which is like around eh, 180, 190, depending on the day, uh, when I was uh, in college. Because uh, I was doing a lot of theater and for theater, you have to be in shape and you have to be, you know, good breath control and everything. And I, I also smoked a lot of weed in college, so that I had that working against me. So, <laughs> so I was, I was like, you know, say that's not normally associated with weight loss. Yeah. You, you know, the weird thing, Brian, I, and I feel comfortable saying this because I live in California and it's legal here. Um, I've never gotten the munchies. Like it, I get like the opposite of the munchies to where like it, it's like an appetite suppressant for me. I don't know if I'm just like, backwards wired or something but whatever it is it's working so you're a man with a lot of stories anytime i say anything to you you respond with a five-minute anecdote so 
So what's your favorite Katie story? What's funny is the weird, the mere way that you phrased that made, made me suspect, am I a robot? Am I an Android designed to speak in five minute anecdotes? <laughs> I do remember moving there as a kid. Uh, so, so we moved around a lot as a family and in general, when a family moves, they tend to move to places that are being developed. So mm -hmm. my entire life would be, we'd move into a neighborhood, power would go out regularly, cable would go out regularly. There was always construction sites to go play in. You could mm -hmm. always steal scrap wood and make <laughs> crazy projects out of it. And then around the time that place would get developed, we would move to another place where it would be the exact same thing. And those are some of my fondest memories of Katie. Uh, as a matter of fact, the very first day that we moved into our house right across from the pool where you almost died, uh, uh -huh. literally uh, across the street on Hoyt Lane, uh, I, I remember it was before the sod was put in and my brother and I, like everything was sand and my brother and I just started throwing sand at each other. And I'm sure we horrified all our new neighbors while my mom was in there trying to make a good impression on the locals. Jay and I were like just, just wrestling each other down, grabbing mud, stuffing it down each other's underwear. And then finally we come walking in with these saggy, uh, tidy whitey diapers filled with dirt. We're like, Hey, uh, yeah, no, I, I have lots of really good memories. Of Katie. That actually very much puts me in mind of a story of mine real quick. We had a garden, uh, like a little vegetable garden on the side of our house that my mom was trying to get going. It failed miserably. She took off for like an afternoon and me and my sisters decided it would be a really good idea to dig two deep holes and then tunnel in between them and fill it with water. Yeah. And by the time she came home, like we were all three just like this muddy mess. We had to get like sprayed down. It was a very Texas moment. We had to get like sprayed down with the garden hose outside. That is one thing that I kind of took away from my time at Katie. I feel like I had a lot more outdoor adventures than I than I've had other places. Maybe that's the climate. Maybe it's just, you know, the nature of the beast. Uh, what do you think? Uh, part of it almost certainly is because um, adults don't have a lot of reason to put themselves in the unpleasant outside heat of Houston, Texas. Yeah, However, yeah. adults can tell kids, get the hell out of here. I'm watching my soaps. <laughs> Were there any like really big outlets for geeks in Katie? You know, computer clubs, comic book shops, stuff like that. Computer clubs, I I didn't have much. There there was a little bit of kind of a uh, a sneaker net scene when I had mm -hmm. an Apple IIe. There was another neighbor kid whose older brother was like deep into, I guess we'll say hacker scene. Uh, but mm -hmm. you know they they would be trading in just by swapping floppies. So it's like all of the early games that I played were all pirated copies of everything. And so yeah, you copied made that it. floppy. Did I hear you right? Did I hear you saying that you're gonna make a copy of a game without paying? Come on, guys. I thought you knew better. Don't copy that floppy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which made it a bit awkward MVP. when later I became friends with Richard Garriott. And I'm like, I <laughs> played pirated copies of your games <laughs> as a kid. Well, piracy uh, but, piracy was a little different back then. Like I remember there were there was like a video store because I had a Commodore 64 when I lived in Katy. And there was a video store you could go into and you could pay them, I think, like two bucks to duplicate. They had like hundreds of discs of different programs and you could pay them two bucks to get a copy. A hundred percent believe that. And uh, <laughs> 
by the time I went to college, they had gotten a little bit more sophisticated. There's a mm -hmm. place called Floppy Joe's here in Austin where <laughs> technically what you would do is you would air quotes buy the software for 70 bucks on your mm -hmm. credit card and then you would return it minus a $5 processing fee the following day. And <laughs> hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. It, one, one of those uh, workarounds where it's not really breaking the rules, but yeah, it's kind of breaking the rules, I guess. Eh, totally breaking the rules. <laughs> yeah. I, I know that we bonded over the fact that I, I think both of us went to West Memorial Junior High. Is that right? I did not go because I was homeschooled, but I, I think I lived right by it. I think because, okay. yeah, there was the school like right like two or three blocks away from us. Yeah, I do remember, uh, man, uh, before I had a license, we would just we would just ride over the highway, over the overpass. Now, I believe it's an oh, underpass. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and we would go to Musabelle's Books, uh, the mm. local book, bookstore and the only place that was carrying comic books. Uh, uh, Ed Knott, uh, who I should probably look up and find out what is up to. While we were out in uh, Norway, he would batch like six weeks, eight weeks of comics and then send them all at once to us mm -hmm. uh, and, and you know, write nice uh, handwritten notes. Yeah. Uh, and it's so wild to be now a full on, a full on grown up and uh, Look, it's not a contest, but boy, am I glad that I banked on Marvel Comics back when I was in <laughs> because because it's a good time to be to have been a Marvel fan as a kid. Me personally, I I was DC, uh, you know, but don't hold that against me. You get television, <laughs> we got the movies, but I got the CW television, which yeah. isn't that great. It's a lot of fun. Although, although now you have the real prize, you, you have James Gunn, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. We we took him. We took him. He's ours now. The thing is, though, like when I was living in Texas, I wasn't that into comic books. I, that kind of came a little later. I was really into and I don't know if you were at all baseball cards. Like I wasn't into the game, but I was really into collecting like Donruss, Upper Deck, Tops, baseball cards. I have to admit that, uh, uh, again, what a great time to be an adult and to have money. And uh, because I used to collect marvel trading cards and gotcha. now as we record this marvel snap is the hot new collectible <laughs> card game on, on <laughs> mobile devices only now i'm a grown-up adult and nobody could tell me not to spend a hundred dollars at a time on it it's almost like marketers are targeting our nostalgia uh i'm okay i'm here for it i'm 100 here for it Real quick, before we get back into talking about Katie and wrapping up our conversation about Katie, we do have a quick ad to play. So we're going to play an ad from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back. Where I'm From is brought to you by Stream Studio. That's S-T-R-E-A-N-N -N Studio, the web app that puts you in charge of the live show. Stream Studio allows you to take your streaming game to the next level by allowing you to stream to multiple platforms at once. If you want to go to Twitch, if you want to go to YouTube, you can stream to all of those platforms at once, get feedback from your audience, and most importantly, it puts you in control of the show. Now, Stream Studio has several packages that work for just about any type of broadcaster. From the free plan, where you can stream with a watermark, all the way up to the gold plan, where you can have up to eight guests. You can stream to as many social platforms as you want. You can get a web link to share your show with external audiences, and you can even get an iframe so you can embed your live stream show directly into your website. Hey, 
I love Screen Studio so much, I'm using it to produce this show. I want to thank Screen Studio for supporting where I'm from. And you can give this fantastic software a spin and support where I'm from at the same time. Just head over to our website at billmeeks.com slash where I'm from and click on the Screen Studio banner so they know we sent you their way. And we want to thank Screen Studio for sponsoring Where I'm From. When I think about Katie, it's very much for me connected to church. And Katie also used to be known as the city of churches. And when I lived there, it felt like everyone went to church, partially because uh, some of the only socialization I got was at church. But I was wondering uh, if you went to church and uh, if, if not, did it hurt you socially? Oh, no, I, I, I definitely did. I went to a United Methodist, um, uh, the one close to Williamsburg Settlement, and it was a, a foundational part of my early high school life. You know, it was mm-hmm. that, that good social opportunity to bond. It's interesting because, like, I'm thankful for that experience, mm-hmm. um, al- although uh, I myself have matured into what I like to think of as hardcore agnosticism. Um but radical uh, agnostic. Yeah. Uh, radical agnostic. That's a great <laughs> phrase. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. It was a wonderful experience and it confused me when I started having kids my own, where it's like, I think about where I am in my, my personal interest in various faiths. And mm-hmm. I think about how much value I got out of it. And I didn't know whether or not to push or allow the opportunity for my kids or whatever. Um, yeah. And so uh, we kind of have a spread where where some of the kids were involved in youth programs uh, and mm-hmm. others were not. I don't know what the right answer there is. Yeah, uh, my rule was always going to be we won't expose them to church at all until they can do algebra, because that's like the right combination of concrete and like abstract thinking to maybe handle religion. And by the time we got to that point, uh, none of them were very much interested. (laughs) And and, and that's the problem, right? Is if what you want is to have them plugged into a, you know, uh, traditional values, although religiously Mm -hmm. themed uh, way to interact with locals. And again, you know, Katie was, was pretty much like, you know, everybody went to churches, as you mentioned, the city Uh, of churches. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I, I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer in that because it's like the kids that went to youth programs, I was not sending them there to indoctrinate them or to have them, you know, adopt certain values. I was sending them there so they could have an opportunity to socialize and to. Yeah, for community. Yeah, exactly. That's actually uh, one thing I kind of feel like I've kind of uh, missed with my kids on is that lack of community because, I mean, they have friends from school. They go out and do things with them, but there's not like someplace we go every week or a couple times a week where we see the same big group of people or anything. When one of our kids was an infant, uh, Bonnie pointed out that she had read that, look, your job as a parent is to not to make them eat their vegetables. Your job, mm-hmm. because their bodies will get hungry for certain vegetables if they are deficient in certain nutrients or minerals or what have you. That's part yeah. of the reason that we have weird cravings for particular foods at times. So mm-hmm. your obligation as a parent is simply to set the opportunity in front of them. And if if they feel like there's something in there they need, then yeah. they can uh, take from it. Yeah, I, I think the thing is, is like when 
And I grew up in a Baptist church, so this was probably a bit more apparent there, but they tend to like really hyper focus on the kids because they're so like malleable and you can like convince them of certain truths that you believe in before they have a chance to critically think about it. And well, I, and, and again, I, I don't want to make it a bag on thing, but, but it, it sounds like the fact that you were homeschooled, were you homeschooled for religious re reasons? hundred percent. Absolutely. When I was in first grade, they were going to start doing like basic, like sex ed, human anatomy stuff in second grade. And my mom was like, okay, we're pulling them out and you know, we're doing the religious thing, a backup books and all that. Yeah. In, in that regard, I guess I, I, air quotes lucked out. I, I don't know who's lucky and who's not, but um, I, I remember my friend Justin saying that, uh, yeah, Methodists are a six pack away from atheists. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Because my grandma Meeks was, was a Methodist actually. And uh, she didn't really care at all. And like, I would go up to what Wadsworth, Ohio and spend a week with her every summer. And about, about halfway through the week, she would start dogging on how kind of militant <laughs> Baptist my parents were and like, you know, you need to let people live and you need to watch films that have cursing in them and things like that. You need to grow, which is why I always love visiting my grandma Meek so much. <laughs> <laughs> I know you worked at the movie theater in Katy. I, I, I personally went there a few times. I saw like Home Alone there, Kindergarten Cop there to give you an idea of the time frame. Uh, what was it like working at a movie theater as a teenager? I loved it. I, I loved the experience. I loved the idea that there's this ladder. You start in concessions, you work your way to box office or, you know, you, you, you do usher stuff, you do a box office. And then if you mm -hmm. really had what it takes, you got to be a projectionist. And uh, mm -hmm. there were legends of, of, <laughs> of certain projectionists to give you a time frame of where I was. Uh, Beethoven two, I think, and basic instinct were out gotcha. at roughly the same time. And one, projectionist um this is back when films would be on giant platters that would be rolling around so as certain mm -hmm. scenes came in if you noticed that there was something that needed to be spliced out you could put a foam brick in there that would that would give you enough loose area to clip out something and tape it back together there's one particular infamous scene in basic instinct and this guy injected three frames of a dog close-up looking at the camera panting at that exact <laughs> moment. <laughs> and, and so allegedly everybody in the theater would run up, gather around, and then while people are watching this highly sexually charged scene in Basic Instinct, <laughs> then all of a sudden you just see a dog going, <laughs> and everybody would lose it up in the booth. That's like a reverse fight club, because wasn't it like they yes. edited a penis yes. into an yes. otherwise innocent scene? As a matter of fact, like, like when I saw Fight Club, I was like, holy cow, this is this is right on the nose. <laughs> what what kind of perks did you get as a theater employee back then? Did you get free popcorn? Did you get to come in on your off day and watch all the new movies? Or yeah, yes to both. But the popcorn was the big one. Like everybody mm -hmm. was super excited the first time that they took an entire trash bag full of <laughs> the rest of the popcorn home. Then it took two weeks for them to, to get through it, and mm -hmm. then they were medium excited <laughs> the second yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> There's a threshold with popcorn to where it's like, oh, that's good. Oh, that's really good. Oh, that's the best thing I've ever had. And then I never want to see it again. <laughs> I'm sure with a trash bag full, you get to that point pretty darn quickly. Yeah, I remember one guy said, uh, oh, yeah, we're about to run a, a batch of atomic popcorn. I was like, what's that? He's like, uh, well, uh, you know, that button that you press that does the pre-measured amount of, of 
hot golden flavoring oil. <laughs> we just pure do that. lard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> then we press it again, <laughs> and so we just this nuclear orange, orange radioactive popcorn would come out. More butter than corn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was kind of a shut in. As a homeschooler, uh, you know, I really only got to socialize with other homeschoolers and people from church. I think I had like two like normal friends, Eddie and Robert, that lived next door. But it really didn't give me a sense of what kids were like in the area. What did normal kids and Katie do for fun? We just had, you know, lock-ins and shit. I suppose to anybody younger than me, this is interesting. To anybody older than me, it's obvious. But uh, <laughs> fight. Uh, we would just find excuses to scrap and, and and meet up at the bayou and um, <laughs> i only got in one like real real fight but even then it's like i mean i don't know how much damage can one leaf do to another leaf <laughs> kids are made of nothing well, why don't we drill in on that fight a little bit just because you know it's probably far enough in the past there's not a lot of emotion attached to it like what was the conflict oh in this case uh it was me trying to stand up for my brother he was two grades behind so I had the brilliant idea that I could beat up Jay all day long. Uh, <laughs> I could certainly beat up two of Jay's peers at once. <laughs> yeah, not uh, quite doing the math, probably. <laughs> yeah, uh, it turns out I couldn't. Um, but but again, it's like, you know, I went home with like a torn shirt and that's about it. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of my memories are of doing stuff like uh, uh, taking BB guns back when, you know, taking firearms was a fine thing to do and walk around uh, yeah, yeah. and shooting stuff, uh, uh, putting silver dollars and pennies on train tracks. I, I, mean, <laughs> I, I sound like I sound like a great grandparent right now. And then we walked uphill both ways in the snow, even though it was Texas. <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's all it's all real stuff. <laughs> I think I remember one winter where it actually did briefly snow and everyone freaked out. Did you do have any memories of snow in Texas? Yeah, a couple of dustings. But remember, I uh, before I went to Katie, I lived in Colorado. So mm -hmm. I was just like, snow was just like, hooray, I'm kind of seeing that old friend here. Ah. <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't like a big impact for you or anything uh, where, it, well, I know when I lived in Atlanta, because they're not very much used to snow. Anytime it snowed, it was like, it was like a nor'easter seven foot blizzard up in the Northeast. Like you couldn't go anywhere or do anything because they don't have any ways to treat the roads or anything like that. Power went out everywhere. That is one of the things I wish more people understood about Texas. Everybody up North rolls their eyes saying like, it's just snow guys. It's like, mm -hmm. yes, says the people with infrastructure and salt <laughs> dispersal and sand dispersal and all of those things. And an entire populace trained on how to drive when there's snow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In Texas, like, no, 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 it's, it's lethal. Like uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. I've never, I, I, I think when I moved to Austin, I think my second year here, uh, I saw 20 car crashes in one day wow. and, and, and it was not because everybody's dumb. It's just because, mm -hmm. you know, there's only so much preparation you can have and there's so much infrastructure that's needed to prepare for it. Yeah. And the, the thing is like, even if you have all the infrastructure in the road and you consult the roads and everything, you still have to have people who know how to drive in the snow on those roads for it to be safe. So Brian, what ultimately took you away from Katie the last time graduation <laughs> and also nowhere to go back to once I graduated, mm. uh, you know, my parents were, in, or my dad was in the petroleum biz. So that's what got us moving all around and got us out to Norway, got us back to Katie. 
Yeah. And then the moment I went to college, that's when they opened up um, uh, new ventures off the coast of Venezuela. So while I was <laughs> off at college, we went down and, and got to visit Venezuela, uh, Caracas, and uh, Puerto La Cruz. Uh, mm -hmm. This is before uh, uh, Chavez came in. And yeah. uh, boy, uh, it's wild to read stories. And it's like, I know that place. That's It's really bizarre. Your job is like part-time magician, part-time YouTuber. Sometimes they intersect. I was wondering if you were interested in magic at a young age and were there any resources in Katie or Houston that helped an aspiring magician like you? I, I went through two waves. Uh, when I was eight years old, my mom got me a magic kit, uh, the Siegfried and Roy magic set. <laughs> my, my serious interest didn't happen until right before I went to college. A friend of mine, mm. Gordon, showed me a magic trick outside of the Mason Park 8 cinema that we worked <laughs> at, a Cinemark theater. And mm. it, it was late one night and he we were swapping. I know this trick. I know that trick. Cool, cool. And he showed yeah. one that genuinely fooled me. I was like, okay, cool. How was that one done? And then he made the mistake of saying, no, this one's too good. And then that's <laughs> what led me to three days later uh, here in Austin to uh, go up to the only magic shop in town, a little <laughs> place uh, that was run out of a garage north of Austin where I had to walk a mile <laughs> and a half after taking two buses. And uh, I'm still... I'm still learning it out of spite to, to, to show <laughs> Gordon what's what. What happened? Because I remember when I was a kid, there were a lot of like weird businesses that people ran out of their garages, barber shops, and like also, I, you don't see that very much anymore. Uh, I think they're there. I think you and I are just in a different place in life <laughs> where we that don't might be see them very often. <laughs> where, where we don't uh, feel like giving, giving the guy in his garage $10 to, to, Maybe cut our hair well. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I did go back to Katie briefly last summer. I know you, you're a little closer. You've probably gotten back a bit more often than I have, you know, once in 20 years or something. When you go back, what kind of sticks out to you is what has changed the most in Katie since you grew, were growing up there? I mean, everything. And it's not the changes that weird me out. It's the tiny things that are the same, you know, it's mm -hmm. like you see a strip mall that you would never recognize. And then there's one still, still their store or the 30 year old Mason village sign is still there or what have you. <laughs> so it's more about, about the remnants of the past that haven't got knocked out yet than it is about the, the, the new 100%, growth. 100%. You know, when I was growing up there, it felt very much like a small town next to a big city. And going back there last summer, it felt almost just like an extension or a suburb of Houston versus... It's, it's the beginning of Houston. And at the time, yeah. you're right. I, uh, Katy proper was a separate town, not anymore. You know, we didn't drive in, around and explore too much. There's probably still a ton of farmland around there and stuff, but I know there was farmland closer to town than there was when I, when I was back there last summer. Let's see here. Okay, well, we're going to do our first game then, Brian. Uh, this is called The Wheel, Wheel of, of Anecdotes. I'm going to give you a suggestion, and your challenge is to respond with a short anecdote from Katie or the Houston area. The shorter, the better. Ready. Okay. Crawdad. Oh, I found him in the bayou. Not a crawdad, but there was a time I saw what looked like a big old dead fish, and I shot it with a BB gun. That fish was not dead. It was just dying. And boy, did it not like getting shot with a BB gun as it was running, you know, because there would be things would get dry and then they get wet and then they get dry again. Anyway, I was a bad kid. <laughs> All right, Astrodome. 
Ooh, so many good memories of the Astrodome. Not least among which was the excitement of watching whichever the Bad News Bears movies mm -hmm. had them play at the Astrodome. The Bad News Bears are going to the Houston Astrodome to play the biggest game of their life. Are you clowns going to sit on your butts all day? Are we going to play some ball? But I remember yeah. going to the rodeo there. I remember all their ridiculous um, uh, over-the-top signage. Uh, <laughs> wow. Just took me back. I only went there um, to see the Astros play. I know Frosted Flakes had a deal where you got a certain number of coupons off the back, and then you got free baseball tickets. And and so I remember going there a couple of times. The thing is, like, I was really big into baseball cards. I realized going to those games, I wasn't really a big fan of the game. I was more about the collectibles. Astro World. Six Flags Astro World is Texas' largest entertainment complex with Texas largest collection of unique world-class roller coasters. Astro World is the greatest best place ever and uh there's a wonderful documentary on it from Defunct Land where they mm -hmm. talk about how great it was and how great it aspired to be. Uh, basically, they just made it too cheap, too easy and not special enough to where mm -hmm. all of a sudden it became scary and and kind of crimey. They, they also had a concert venue in the back area where uh, uh, my buddy saw uh, Millie Vanilli and I saw <laughs> a couple of concerts. What were your two top rides at Astroworld? Uh, oh, Skyscreamer was the jam and Grease Light. Mm -hmm. See, uh, I, w I, I was pretty partial to the Texas Cyclone and the Ultra Twister. Ultra Twister was actually my first coaster I ever went on. Oh my God. Ultra Twister yeah. was the one that came out when I was in high school and I was like, they're really reaching now, aren't they? It was only 90 feet tall, but then it just like, it dropped and it, it kept cool spinning. Spiral the thing, yeah. I know there's a few other coasters out like that. If, if you know of an Ultra Twister coaster in the United States, let me know, Bill at BillMakes.com. Spicy. When, when I lived in Katy, I grew up liking very bland foods and it was only after I learned to eat fire that I would start trying spicy foods. So you built up a tolerance from fire and now you can I mean, handle ma hot sauce. Mainly I just acknowledge that it'll be too embarrassing to be the guy who eats fire, but is afraid of salsa. All right, and this was one uh, from the uh, text you sent me this morning, Mason Road. Uh, yeah, dude, nowadays, my goodness, I, I was thinking about how horrified most adult parents would be to just let their 12 year olds just unleashed on bikes going anywhere <laughs> they want. And, and even then, it's like it's fun to see kind of the confusion among the younger younger crowds when you're watching Stranger Things and you're like, wait, they would just ride their bikes everywhere? It's like, <laughs> yeah, dude, we all had cars. They were called bikes. It was great. <laughs> all right. And we're going to wrap up with, uh, and this was the state slogan when I lived there. I, they might have changed it now, but it's like a whole other country. If you could look out at these lush Texas vineyards through Italian arches, then you'd know why we say Texas is like a whole other country. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, you're right. Uh, I, I I remember that. Was that a Katie thing or a Texas thing or what? It, it, it was a Texas thing. It was because they always had the ads for the guidebook that you could call and order uh, with all the things to do in Texas. And Texas. it always it's ended like with a whole other country. Uh, 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 weirdly, that niche has been supplanted with the whole don't mess with Texas sentiment, which mm. I 
people who didn't grow up in Texas may not know was the anti-littering campaign. That that's what, <laughs> and then it became this sort of like cultural gestalt thing. You see the guy who threw this out the window. You tell him I got a message for him. Don't mess with Texas. That's the message. I got a message for him too. What's that? Well, I kind of need to see him to deliver it. Don't mess with Texas. It, it became the I'm an asshole, but deal with it kind of motto. Wheel of, of anecdotes. anecdotes. And uh, I think that about does it for the game. Brian, congratulations. You won the game. Uh, the Yay! prize. The prize is absolutely nothing. You have to talk to me for about 10 or 12 more minutes. <laughs> oh, no. It's a punishment. All right, Brian. Well, I want to thank you again so much for joining me today. It's, it's been great catching up. I, I hope it's not so long again before we catch up. Where can people follow you and all the crazy, amazing, wonderful stuff you do? Just check out my Twitter. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh man. Musk beat you to it. He uh, cut it while we were on here. <laughs> just uh, check out World's Greatest Con. Search for it wherever you listen to audio. I, I think you guys will like it quite a bit. And to be clear, World's Greatest Con is a nonfiction uh, season-based podcast about different big cons in history, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, we, we're demystifying the greatest history's greatest deceptions. Excellent. I knew you'd have the tagline, Brian. I want to thank you so much again for joining me today. Uh, you guys out there watching, if you like the show, please consider going over to Apple Podcast or wherever you get a podcast and leaving us an honest review. It doesn't have to be five stars. I'd like it to be five stars. It could be three stars. Don't do a below three, though. That's going to hurt our average. You can also find links to everything we do with the show, the podcast, the live YouTube videos, the edited YouTube videos, and contact information if you want to write in and respond to what we said today at billmeeks.com slash where I'm from. Well, that does it for this week. Uh, join us next time when I talk to somebody else about where they're from. See you soon.